When it comes to the video games the world wants most, nobody compares to Atari. A different episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And I say it's different because normally we cover one game uh, and we cover from, you know, essentially the 8 bit era forward. But we're actually going to go back a step farther. For the first time on this podcast, we're going to talk about a handful of Atari 2600 games. Uh, you know, our last bonus show about a boy and his blob, we had mentioned Pitfall 2 and, and kind of were talking about Atari games and that. That, I think, sparked something. So now we're going to talk about a handful of Atari games that, uh, that we, you know, we may have played when we were younger. If not, we've really played them and dissected them now. But before we go back in time to the 2600, Billy, what have you been playing for the last few weeks? I, I've had a few things going. Uh, my, my girlfriend and I, once again, we, we've been playing through um, Luigi's Mansion 3. Uh, you guys may not know it by that name. You may know it as Luigi's Ghost House. Oh, yeah, I played that. That's um, a very good game. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I thought you'd be familiar with that one. We've been playing through that in the two-player mode, and that's a ton of fun. Um, you know, I, I, I think I said before, I was a little worried that it would be like a little tacked-on experience. But no, it's, it's, it's a full-fledged, uh, you know, cooperative thing. Uh, it's, that's a ton of fun. I would definitely recommend playing through that in two players if, if you have the chance. Um, I have been playing that new Monster Hunter. Oh, and I really, I, I don't know if I've been clocking in as many hours as some people that may be on this program with me. Um, but I have definitely uh, been knee deep in it and having a good time. And it's the first Monster Hunter game that I have really sat down and played. Um, and I, I found it to be very enjoyable. And it, it's basically, I mean, you know, with that, that title. You know, what, what you see is what you get. And it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm at that point now to where um, I'm actually getting half decent at it. So dying a lot, um, not dying a lot, rather, is, makes the game a little more fun. Um, and the, the you know, quests don't vary that much. You're either, either killing some monster or you're collecting items. But um, just exploring those, those little areas they put you in. It's not quite an open world, but they give you a nice little stretch to, uh, to roam around in. Um, I, I found a lot of fun doing the missions where it's kind of kind of free roam and you just you travel around. So there's enough there to keep it keep it pretty fresh. And it's 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 a great game. And I might have to go back to some of the other ones at some point. Um, only other thing I've been playing, I picked up. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Far Cry series um, from from three on. Uh, before that, not so much. <laughs> um, but they had just a really really deep sale on on the majority of those games. And I picked them up and I, I'm I'm getting through. You know, I played three. I played four. Um, I never played five, and I never played uh, New Dawn 
which was kind of the, the spinoff from five. Um, so I am working on that one now and playing through and it, it's, you know, it's far cry. It, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. If you enjoy any of them after three, you're going to enjoy these. I like the setting in this one and I, I'm kind of nearing the end of it. Um, so there we are. It's, 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 you know, been pretty active. It's nice to focus on, on a few games rather than just kind of be all over the place. But we did start playing Animal Crossing around the house again. So I, I'm trying to not let that overtake everything else, but we'll see. Well, we've hit that year mark in Animal Crossing. So now we're revisiting. Like, yeah. We just had the, yeah. the awful Easter event with the eggs and the and zipper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some new things being added. Uh, I saw there's another update coming, which means it's got to be something new. Uh, so I'm, I'm still playing that as well. Uh, actually, one of our... Our amazing listeners, uh, Fairy Crypt has been sending me the Hello Kitty furniture set so that I can have that in my, yeah, <laughs> in my yeah. house, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I know you were hinting that maybe Jeremy Gregory isn't playing a lot of Monster Hunter, but this will shock everybody yes, to know that exactly. I, yeah. I have unfortunately been playing a ton of Monster Hunter Rise. It's been out for, what, a week and a half now, and I've already clocked in like 50 hours. And uh, I finished all the single player missions, and now I'm working on the hub missions, which are, or you can still do single player. Uh, I, I did a couple groups with you. I did some groups with some other people. Uh, it is yeah. it is great. Uh, you're right that there's not a lot of variance in Monster Hunter, but that's what Monster Hunter is about. It's about fighting a giant monster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah and then yeah. later on, you get missions where you fight multiple giant monsters, uh, and you still have that same time frame. Or, or later on in, in World, I haven't gotten there yet in this game, but in World, uh, Monster Hunter World, you would have sections where you have to fight you know, the monster order, which you only have 15 minutes instead of 50 minutes. So it really, or you can only die one time. If you die one time, it's over, uh, but you get better rewards. So there, there's a lot more to the, mixing up the same exact mission over and over again. But there's still, I mean, I'm still running into new monsters I haven't fought before. Uh, I mean, I've, I've played it for 50 hours. There's still new monsters. And, you know, there's already a, an update scheduled for next month with a handful more new monsters. So this, this one's going to have its hooks in me for quite a long time. Uh, so I... I've got to get back to Persona 5 Royal. I, I still want to play Strikers. I, there, there's so many things I want to do, but all I've played, and all I think I will be playing for a while is Monster Hunter Rise. I will try to find something else to discuss going forward on this section of the show, or else it's just be me talking about Monster Hunter Rise, saying exactly what I just said just now with, uh, with a few more bells and whistles. But Jeremy, what have you been playing? I did not play Monster Hunter, but I will go ahead and talk about the game that I talked about on the previous episode. Outriders came out. The full game. Yes. And it's actually really good. Uh, it, it's basically just going to, if you like that demo, it's going to keep doing that, literally. Every section is basically, you know, I kind of mentioned in, in the previous episode that it was like Borderlands meets Gears of War. Just throw Borderlands right out the window. There's there's no Borderlands here whatsoever. This is all Gears of War slash Diablo. It is, if you've ever wanted those two games to converge in a weird way, then then Outriders mm. is your game. And also, you know, it's really weird to see a, a Gears of War style game because, you know, that was such a popular shooter style of game back in the 360 yeah. days that literally just about every shooter was it had cover mechanics. You know, it, you'd run in, you'd see things, sandbags you could duck behind, and then you shoot over them. And that's totally what this game looks like at first, except it's it's not. Uh, you do not play that game like that at all. If you do, you will die very quickly. And it's all about basically just being as aggressive as possible. I think I mentioned this a little bit in the previous episode, but I didn't realize just how aggressive you have to be. Like it is basically just go, 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 or you are going to die. It's uh, I, I appreciate when games make you play an established style of a genre of game or whatever differently than you are 
what you've played it before and just about every other time you've played it. And getting beyond that in this game and not playing it like Gears of War is the hardest thing about it. And I think there's like way too many people out there that are trying to play it like Gears of War, like I did, that are just like, why isn't this game working right? It's not, you know, I'm dying all the time. The the cover mechanics aren't as good as Gears of War. So what am I supposed to be doing? I'm not doing this right. And you're not. So it's just super weird that they've made it look and play exactly like Gears of War, except you're not expected to play it like that or you'll die. So it just kind of turns that whole thing on its head of where you're just constantly running, constantly shooting, constantly using your powers to heal, constantly tagging enemies all the time, like retreating, then attacking. It's it's all over the place, but that means it's like super kinetic. You are just moving all the time uh, and getting, like I said, retreating when you need to, attacking when you have to, and then also just constantly pushing, putting those powers out there and using them when you need to. It's a super neat game, but I, yeah, I, I would totally suggest if you if you if that sounds cool, try that demo. I think it's still going. Uh, literally, if you like that demo, you're going to like the rest of the game. I think it's it's a very well done game. I think I'm about halfway through it, so so far really liking it. I, it can't quite meet up to the majesty of Monster Hunter, of course, but you know, no. this is a, a really fun little shooter that if if you're into that kind of thing, and the idea of Diablo cross Gears of War sounds like a cool idea, then then this is going to be your game. Well, maybe it can't meet the majesty of Monster Hunter, but we're going to talk about four games that come really close as we look at four <laughs> games for the Atari 2600. You mean you have an Atari video game system, but not Atari Missile Command? Well, then you must have Defender. Great game. Or a challenge like Star Raiders. What about Yars Revenge? Well, you got to have Berserk, right? And Atari Space Invaders, a classic. You don't? Come on. An Atari system without those games? That's like having a stereo with no hit records. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I'm as excited for this. You know, because we, we, we do say we're, we're covering everything from consoles on. Um, and, you know, we, we've gone, gone way back for several. We have never gone quite this far back. And, you know, this is the first system that I... Uh, ever played anything on you know my folks had um you know an atari uh 2600 and a coleco and th those are like the first two that I, I i kind of i kind of played on until you know the nes came around and i i think that's when it really took off because you know i i was still a little young i mean, I'd, i would sit there hold the controller kind of kind of mess around but not really accomplish much of anything um, but yeah, I, I do have uh, some some my my earliest gaming memories are are on that Atari. And that's the same way for me. I the twenty six hundred is the very first console I ever played, and that wasn't anything I owned. It was something that my we would go down to my aunt aunt's house down in Kentucky for for spring break every year, and I've I've mentioned this before, but they would always have the newest consoles. And mm. they had the Atari, but I was so young back then. Like I was born in 79 and this was like, like you, my earliest gaming memories. Mm. So like I knew of arcades that I'd played, but I'd never played a home console. And that one yeah. time that we went there and got a, you know, I was maybe like what, six, seven, like, and they had a 2600 sitting there with some games. I was blown away. Like the whole mm. concept of playing a game inside your house 
that wasn't me begging for quarters at the local Kroger was unheard of. So that was, you know, that was my first experience, but I just never really, I never owned one myself. So I never really had the nostalgia, I guess, for the 2600, like I do for the Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, we, we've mentioned it several times. I was always a an Intellivision family. I, I don't know quite why my dad picked that. It wasn't even like he used it much. I am. But, uh, but they had the Intellivision. So, you know, I had friends with the Atari, and I would use theirs. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, the Intellivision so much better. Whether or not uh, that was actually true, depending on the game, uh, probably <laughs> it depends game by game. But... Uh, I, you know, I still wasn't really familiar with the 2600 until way later. So basically about the same time that the Nintendo was right around the corner. So I guess 1980, or, yeah, 1984 or so, you know, I, I ended up getting an Atari after the, the, the crash from a yard sale. And I bought a whole bunch of games for 50 <laughs> cents a piece. I mean, I, I literally like mowed lawns and, uh, oh, and, yeah. and used it to pay for for games, you know, well into like the late 80s after everyone was just getting rid of them for, for pennies. Uh, but the downside of that is, one, uh, you know, at this point, the Nintendo's already out, so games on, on that system were mind-blowing compared to what you could do on the Atari. But also, I'm just buying loose carts. There's no instruction manuals. There was no no guide on what to do. So specifically, some of the games we're going to talk about today were games that I've had as a kid, and I just didn't mm-hmm. understand what the whole goal of the game was. Like, eventually, you might figure yeah. out what you're supposed to do. But again, there's not a lot of text in these games, if any, and... Uh, you know, in some cases, you don't even know if you've actually finished the game or if you've died. Like the way the way that some of this kind of feels, you're like, what exactly just happened? So, you know, now I'm going back and playing these. I'm looking up the manuals online and, and trying to treat it as if I had the manual as a kid. And some of these are uh, a lot more interesting than I thought they were at the time. Uh, and and one specifically was one I had as a kid and remember being amazing, and it is not. So we're going to talk about all of those. Uh, the system itself, the Atari Video Computer System, which was later renamed the 2600, was released in 1977. But all the games we're going to talk about today came out starting in 1980. Uh, 1977 didn't have a lot of games. It had Combat is one you'd know in Pong. And then the rest were, were things that I didn't recognize. Uh, you know, they were basic names like air and sea battle, things like that. The, the games you'd think of when you think of the Atari, the, the Pac-Man, even Space Invaders didn't come out until the 80s. So, you know, the, the first few years, not a whole lot out. So the first game we're going to talk about is Adventure, which came out in 1980. It's, uh, you know, notoriously the first kind of console adventure role-playing game uh, because it was more than just a shooter. It was more than just... Uh, you know, kind of a, a take on Pong. It was actually trying to take the concepts that you'd find in a computer-based role-playing game or, or a, you know, Dungeon & Dragon style thing and, and kind of convert it to an Atari. When I first played this game, I had literally no clue what was going on. And so, therefore, I just was like, yeah, I don't understand this game at all and didn't really give it another shot because I didn't have a manual. Uh, I, I don't know if either of you had a lot of experience with this specific game ahead of time uh, or not. Oh, I did. Um, this was one of the ones that, that we had um you know no manual what you were saying um about uh having these games no manual was very common very very common because atari was the was a yard sale staple for a while there and that is how uh, how we bulked up the library and yeah i i had this one and i played it a lot i was over time able to figure it out um you know, I, I was really young at the time, so there was a lot of just getting on there and just just moving around, not really <laughs> accomplishing anything or picking up that little bridge and just just carrying it around and getting chased by what I thought was a giant duck um, for the longest time. 
Uh, I, I thought you were terrorized by a, you know, a, a human sized duck on there, which is not the case. Um, but yeah, I, it's notable once you, once you see what they're trying to do, it's, it's almost like a, yeah, like a, like a little legend of Zelda almost. It's a key, you know, fetching quest. You have an enemy to, to try to avoid, you have a, a land to traverse, which, you know, you, you have to apply a liberal amount of imagination to it. Um, but it, I, I, it's a pretty significant game, but yeah, um, if you're plopped down there with no manual, um, you're 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 gonna get some length out of it. It's very short to complete the you know the the titular adventure of this game. But if you don't know what you're doing, there's a lot of fumbling around. All of the games that we're gonna talk about today were in a pile of 2,600 games that were always at my aunt's house when I went there. And mm-hmm. this was uh, you talk about instructions. I don't think I ever. I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen in my entire life an Atari 2,600 instruction booklet. It's just always that loose-ass game that's just sitting there. And that's all that was in that pile. You know, it was just me popping in these games when I was six or seven, just trying them out because, you know, it was crazy to be able to play these games, like I said. But Adventure was the one that I legit had almost no clue what was happening. I There was no instructions, of course. And if you just kind of sit down and start playing it, I mean, it, it's cool because you get to see a castle and and there's like this weird monster thing chasing you around but i yeah. had no clue what to do i didn't for the longest time i thought the sword in the game was an arrow telling me where to go <laughs> <laughs> and it just i it blew my mind at some point because i kept trying to stand in front of it and then at one point i grabbed it and ran with it and i didn't know what the hell was going on but yeah, like I, it wasn't until way later in life where I actually sat down and knew what I was doing and had a, a you know, game packs open up on my fucking computer at the time that I was actually able to know what was going on because it bugged me for so long that I just I had no clue what, what this game was even about. And it blew me away that people could figure this out in any way at all because it's so just basic. Yeah. It is, but it's one of those things that once you actually have the manual in front of you, it, it becomes much clearer like what exactly you're supposed to do. So Adventure, it has a story. In, the, in all the manuals, actually, some of them have very involved stories. The story of this one's not that involved. Uh, essentially, a, a wizard has stolen uh, like this magical chalice, and you're supposed to go get it back. Uh, you, you are leaving from the Golden Castle. You'll start the game outside of the Golden Castle. And your job is to find this chalice and bring it back to the Golden Castle. Your character is a dot. It's it's literally a, a, a square on the screen. Um, you know, you mentioned that there's a sword you can pick up and some other stuff. Well, there, there are keys, swords. Uh, there's a bridge that you can move around so you can get over. Like It looks like over walls, but I guess it's supposed to represent streams. Um, and a magnet that you can carry uh, that will let things that are things like keys that are ma- uh, metal will, will slowly pull towards you so you can get them out from if they if they get stuck in a wall or stuck in a weird area. So generally your goal is to take your dot, walk around, find the key you need to open up either the, the white castle or the black castle, uh, which is the white or black key. Once you open it up, one of those in there will probably have the chalice and you take the chalice back to the yellow castle you started with. Now, when you start the game, it actually has a, a, a one shows up on the screen. Well, if you have the instruction manual, you know that there are three different versions of this game, and you hit the select button that's actually on the, the console itself to switch between one, two, and three. If you pick game one, that's the most basic game, and literally you leave your castle, you, you get the key, 
uh, from the very beginning. It opens the castle right in front of you, the yellow castle, to get the sword. And then you use that sword to kill two dragons that are almost right outside of the castle. Those things that look like ducks that Billy mentioned. Uh, there are three dragons. There's Yorgle, the yellow dragon, Grundle, the green dragon, and Rindle, the red dragon, who's super fast. And, and they're guarding this, uh, this chalice to stop you from getting it. So if you can grab the thing that looks like an arrow and walk it into these dragons when they run at you, it will immediately kill them and they'll lay there on the ground. I was impressed that they stay there. Like, they don't just vanish. They stay on that screen. If you leave and come back later, uh, it, it'll still be there. Uh, because this is an Atari game, there are not scrolling screens. So it's screen by screen. I, I don't want to say like Legend of Zelda because you'll be very disappointed with what you're seeing, but it's that concept where if you you know go from the bottom of the screen, the next screen, you come out of the top of the screen, and it you know just moves screen by screen by screen. Uh, the very first level is very straightforward. Again, you go to, you leave the castle you start in, you kill those two dragons, you get the key that opens up uh, the, the, the other castle that's in the one, I think the black one's in that level, and then there's a maze you go through. It's a very straightforward, simple maze, but I was actually impressed that it was a maze that you had to figure out. Uh, it's, it's all top-down view. Once you make your way through that maze, you open that castle up, you get that chalice, and you go back through the maze again and take it back to the castle. That one on its own, I didn't have any problems with. That first adventure, level one, you know, once I figured out what you're supposed to do, I was like, well, this is pretty impressive, considering that up to this point on the Atari, it had all been things that were you know, kind of just very basic shooty games or pong games or, you know, things things that kind of boil down to that mechanic. This was this was actually like, oh, wow, you can pick up items. Uh, you can take one thing at a time. So you can't you can't just have the key and then it shows up in inventory because there's no real inventory. The key's literally stuck next to your dot. You push the one button on your joystick controller and it drops that item and you can pick up another item. Uh, if you tried out game number two or three, and I don't know if you ever, either of you have tried game two or three, it is a much harder game. The map is much larger. There are a series of mazes. It's not just one. And uh, and there's a lot more to do, including the most obnoxious uh, enemy in this game is a bat who will pick up any item, including a key you need or the sword or, or basically anything you're trying to get to, and then fly away with it. And you have to chase the bat down to get the stuff back. I had never until... <laughs> It was time for this this show um, to review for it. I, I, I had never played anything besides that first mission uh, or that first adventure. And when I was a kid, I thought I was hot shit. You know, once you had it down, yeah, I got, maybe the earliest game uh, that I, I was uh, supposedly speed running. You know, once you get that first one down, you, you can nail it every time once you once you find out what's what. But no, I had not ventured into the other ones until now. I, all this time, 30 plus years, I did not even know that there were other adventures to be had in this game. And yeah, they do up it a little bit. I would have loved this as a kid if I'd only, I mean, as a fat kid, I didn't want to get up and hit that button on the on the console. Didn't want to hit that select. Um, but man, if I had only known, I, I would have ate that up. Or I don't know, or either that or I would have been pissed because it wasn't the same and I couldn't have ran through it. And, and I wouldn't have felt so, you know, I wouldn't have felt so great. I'm just continually losing. No, that bat. Um, definitely. Uh, definitely should go down as probably the most annoying enemy. I, I, I really believe I've encountered in an Atari game. For the longest time, I didn't know what the mode select switch was on the 2600 as a kid. I thought every time I would hit it, yeah. I was breaking yeah, yeah. the game because it would always yeah. like sometimes like change colors or mm -hmm. flicker the screen or something. I'm just like, what's, what am I even doing? And like, I didn't have the instructions as mentioned. So I had no clue what I was even doing. I, I probably did play, you know, one of the, 
different modes or something in this game. I just had no no clue. But the thing that was constantly blowing me away with this game was that there was more to do than just one thing. This We'll get into this with, with some of these other games that we're going to talk about. But like this was the first game I think I ever played where it was like there wasn't just one single thing that you had to do. It wasn't a super basic uh, arcade game where it was like, shoot these guys and then you'll go to the next screen. It'll be the same screen. Now you got to shoot those same guys more. It's just to get more points. This one had stuff you had to do. And I, it wasn't just, it wasn't penetrating my child mind at the time back in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, it was just a, a brand new thing and to have objectives and have items and, and to know, know where to go and backtrack there. There's literally, even if I had the instructions, I would have probably just sat there and just drooled the entire time and had no clue what I was even doing. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's more like a modern day, you know, game we're used to you accept a, a quest in a game and you get your your list of steps that you have to accomplish to to get it done and you're just not used to that you're used to one motion doing one thing over and over and over again so the fact that it's a a multi-part uh quest you have to undertake here uh it's pretty amazing looking back i don't think i fully appreciated it um you know just kind of how groundbreaking it was yeah, I, you really have to put your, your head in the right spot because, I, I mean, again, I, I had had the Intellivision, and there are two Dungeons & Dragons games on there that are worlds ahead of what this game was doing, but they also came out way later. I mean, this, for 1980, this was, you know, and, and for the Atari specifically, this was kind of a, mm-hmm. a a pretty groundbreaking game. I mean, even it has like almost a fog of war f- effect in, in some of the dungeon yeah. areas where you can only see what, what a, is supposed to kind of be like a torch that's around you and it kind of flickers, but it only shows that little that little circle. Uh, another I thought game the gonna... game was broken then. I thought, like, I legit thought the game had broke at that point. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it flickers a lot, and some of that I don't think is... I don't want to say intentional, but is is taking advantage of that's what the system did. So let's make it seem like it's supposed to happen, right? But but still, like the fact that it has, like like Billy said, multiple objectives. You you have to to grab different items. You have to to dodge dragons. There's there's so much to do in it, considering that you know every other game to this point has been pretty straightforward. Uh, the other thing, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Jeremy, is you didn't know what the select button did, which you're right, because unless you have the manual, you don't know exactly what's happening. It a lot of the time it goes back to a screen and shows numbers and stuff. Uh, there's the other thing with the the 2600 is that it had difficulty switches for the player one and player two. And, and it's just an A or B position. And most games, especially if you didn't have a manual, you just never touched it. You left it in A because that was the lower letter and, and never changed it. Uh, if you have the manual, it tells you what those switches do. So, for example, in this, if you leave the difficulty switch in the B position, the dragons will actually stall for a second before they bite you, kind of giving you a chance to run away, making it easier. Uh, where if you left it in A, they would just run straight at you. So it's little little things like that that you would never have known without a manual and are, are pretty involved considering, you know, it's still like it looks like this giant blocky duck moving at you. But the fact that there's a way to make it not only, you know, harder because you've picked a harder difficulty level for the map being larger and therefore there's more to do. But you also then have and that stupid bad. But then you also have these difficulty switches you can switch on the system that will change how one of the things in the game works. And every game kind of had the difficulty switches doing different things. And I never mess with them. I, that's the most fascinating thing I I kind of realized when we were doing these. Like these difficulty switches sometimes do a lot of cool stuff, and I had no idea mm. at all. I I didn't bother with it either. Um, but that I, it's it's incredible. Um, this game I came away with a real. You know, this is the game I just goofed off on as a child. 
um, you know, because it was one of the few I could I could beat. Um, but I, I really didn't get the full, you know, scope and, and appreciation for it until um, playing through it for this and, and, and really just looking at it and seeing how it influenced, you know, a lot of, you know, modern day, modern day adventure games. I, I, I think it earns the title of of adventure I, it really set the it really set the t- it didn't you know it set the bar at the time but i think it also has overall uh set the tone that that you know we're still still seeing today you know even on uh i just mentioned for the what are you playing I, i'm playing far cry and it has several its missions have several points several things you have to accomplish you have to get this you have to grab this key so you can do this um and it all it it, it all goes back to there yeah, like you said, it's just it certainly is an adventure, and it's crazy that it was made back when it was. It was uh, way before its time, and it's just one of those things I don't think gets it gets enough appreciation these days. But you know, as a kid, when you're grabbing this for like what twenty five cents from Old mm-hmm. Man Bronson's yard sale down the road with no instruction book, uh, you know, the sticker on the front's half torn off. Anybody that's going to pick that up, really, you're you're not you're not going to have a clue what's going on. And it's one of those things where you definitely have to have some guidance to figure out. And when you do, it's mm-hmm. fine. It's not a hard game. It's you can beat it in what five minutes. Uh, it's just uh it's just one of those things. Like a lot of these games we're going to talk about. Well, <laughs> one of the other games we're going to talk about where it, it's, that's just how things were back on the 2600. You needed some sort of guidance to let you know what all of these, these modes switches, what you were doing in the game, how to win the game, basic things that we take for granted now, which is spelled out with like an hour hour's worth of tutorials. There was nothing like that back then on these games. No, if you were lucky, you had a magazine that might cover it, but otherwise, it, it, it hopefully the manual gave you some tips, or or you had friends that played it and and could explain it to you. I, I know that's how I beat many at twenty six hundred games that had endings, mm-hmm. and there aren't too many, but the ones that I did beat, I only beat because I had friends that knew how to get through them. Beware, playing Atari can be pretty hair-raising. Atari, simply more fun and games. The next game we're going to talk about is one that I had. I actually had multiple copies of. I don't know why. (laughs) I hated this game. I absolutely hated it because I didn't really understand it. But now that I've read the manual and played through it, it may be one of my favorite 2600 games. And that is Haunted House, which came out in 1982. I I can relate to this game because as a kid, I felt like I was fucking wandering around in the dark playing this. I definitely got the feeling this game was was trying to convey. I was one wide set of eyes on the TV, uh, just fumbling around, hoping to find some semblance of sense in the whole thing. I, I think we had a, a pretty similar experience. Um, this was uh, a pickup by my by my folks. Um, being on my folks didn't didn't hold on to the, to things like instruction manuals and things like that, or either that, or I couldn't track it down. Um, so I played this with no clue, and this is another one that it wouldn't be until, um, wouldn't be until years later, I'd say with, within a decade, um, that I sat back down and, and played some Atari games and actually looked up, um, the manuals online. And yeah, I, I think I had a similar, um, experience, um, 
to to what you were were hinting at that it it when you get a little clarity with this game it goes a long way i again this was another one of those that i had and as a kid again i didn't know what i was doing with it but mm -hmm. it was called haunted house it yes. was spooky you played a pair of eyes uh, it you know a circle or something whatever the hell and you just kind of wandered around and occasionally like a lightning would go off and your you would your eyes would flip out and you you know i was endlessly entertained by that as a kid mm -hmm. i had no clue what i was doing but i don't know if you guys remember game room on the xbox 360 yes i do okay, i was very excited for game room yeah, and then yeah. and then once it came out i was like oh that's that's not what I expected. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that constantly littered Game Room was old Atari 2600 games up to yes. its very last game. One of the things that they would actually do, they would actually print out all of the instructions and how to play and do a really good job of that on all of these games. So I was particularly drunk one night and Haunted House was on there and I bought it. And the first thing I did was go to the instructions to see how you fucking played this game because I never knew. And the the thing that shocked me the most about this game was that there was like a story to it. Yes, like there was like... this long story <laughs> was printed out that they took the time to reproduce in this. And I was just reading this like, oh my God, like there's a whole backstory and lore to this game that I never knew was even part of it. And then it explained how to play it. And I was like, oh God, this is, this is something I, I never even knew how to do so yeah this is another one where you basically have to have some something something there to guide you or it's just complete nonsense unless you're just a six-year-old kid like me and you like the your the eyes going around you know that's it's it's just it was crazy to see all that yeah when you actually turn the game on it looks incredibly basic and and part of that is because what one of the system i mean part of that is the difficulty level switch on this one if you start in difficulty level switch one, which is what everyone would do if you don't know to use that switch, you hit start the game, push the button, boom, you're in the game. You can see the rooms. So you're walking around a three by two set of rooms. And then uh, as you get towards like there's kind of alcoves that look like they'd be away from the other room. So like that would leave the room. And some of those look like they have little lines in them. Well, those are staircases. And you'll go up those, and there's four floors to this building. Each floor has, you know, a two-by-three grid of rooms, and they're all connected by doors. So if you're playing in the, the original uh, difficulty level one, you can just see these rooms, and you're just walking around. And then occasionally a bat will come in, or a spider, or a ghost will chase you. And if they hit you, your eyes spin around, and uh, you'll see a little counter at the bottom of the screen go down, and then you're like, what the hell am I supposed to be doing here? You hit the button, and, like, it looks like a, a little glow goes around you. But... If you're on difficulty level one, you don't need to see because you can see all the rooms, except that to teach you how you're going to play the game later, if you don't have that light around you, you can't see the items you're supposed to find in this mansion. So the whole point of the game and the story tells you all about Zachary Graves and how he's, you know, lived in this old house and scared the people of the town. Anyway, you're going through his mansion to try to find this magical urn that was broken into three pieces. And you'll do that by wandering through the rooms, avoiding those monsters, and you'll have to find all three pieces of the urn, 
Once you have all three pieces, you can go back down to the first floor and exit out of the mansion. When you do that, the screen just like flashes and your eyes spin around and you're like, what the hell just happened? Well, that's how you finish the game. That's one of the things like I didn't know. I must have beaten it on the first level at some point and just didn't realize I had beaten it because you have no idea what that even means. Uh, but on the harder difficulty levels, after difficulty level one, starting at difficulty level two through nine, which is the hardest, everything's always dark. So you have to have your light on so that you can even see the area around you and you're bumping into walls and you're trying to get into these rooms. And then as the difficulty levels get harder and harder, not only do you have to worry about having the ghost and the spider and the bat, but all of a sudden some of these doors are locked. And the only way you can open the door is if you find the magic, uh, the, the master key that will open every door in the house. But if you have the key, you can't hold parts of the urn. Much like Adventure, you can only hold one thing at a time. So you actually have to kind of walk around, figure out what doors you can open once you have the key, or don't have the key, I'm sorry, and then you need the key to get to, so that you can find the other pieces of the urn and escape while trying to avoid these, these monsters that will kill you in one hit. You do have nine lives. When you die, you start right in the same spot. Uh, and there is a... It's not even a weapon. There's a scepter you can find. And, and the instruction goes on to say that, like, Old Man Graves kept this scepter to protect himself from evil spirits. But if you have that, the spider and the bat and at first the ghost can't hurt you. They'll still come into the room and they'll still blow out your, your candle or whatever. But then once they leave, you can, you know, you can walk right through them and then they'll hurt you. In the later, the last couple difficulty levels, the ghost is immune to the scepter and can always still hurt you. But so, I mean, there's there's all this stuff going on that if you're like, okay, now I kind of get what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to constantly keep my, uh, my my matches going so that I have that little circle of light around me and I can find the parts of the urn. And then sometimes I have to figure out what, what doors have to be unlocked in a certain order so I can get up and down these stairs to get back to the main floor. Like, there's, there's actually a lot to it. I just didn't understand any of that at all as a kid. And so, yeah, it was just days of me wandering around watching this guy's eyes spin. Like, this game is the dumbest thing. Thing ever i made fun of haunted house for years not realizing there was an actual game in there i think that's how it works for most people I, again as a kid like what do you do if you don't have the instructions or you don't have a magazine it's just wandering around nonsense uh, I, for some reason i don't know if i just had that difficulty selected or what or at that house but i remember mostly wandering around the dark and just trying to figure out what the hell i'm even doing so i think that's most people's general reaction to that i've talked to people over the years and they're just like yeah that game's dumb as hell you're, you're not even doing anything in it it's like no there is there's actually a goal which is kind of shocks people when they hear it because it's just it is a nonsense game if you don't know what you're doing well and it's a game that you know now horror games are like a, a big staple of the industry that's no you know it, it's no longer a thing everyone's like oh man a horror game that's really cool but this time this was one of the only horror games, especially on a console. And if you play this game, you're playing the dark version. You, you play it in the dark, actually. And, and you know, you might even play it on a black and white TV, depending on the time you played this game. It actually feels really creepy. And it keeps it kind of does feel like you're wandering around trying not to get get caught. The, the lightning does flash occasionally, kind of like highlighting the whole room. When the guys hit you, it makes this horrible noise. Like, there... It, it is actually kind of a scary game if you set yourself in the right place for it. I mean, yeah. again, not in 2021. You're not going to be like, oh, my God, I can't play Haunted House. It's too terrifying. <laughs> but, I mean, if you can let yourself get into that, there's there's definitely something in that that you can see. Like, they really did a good job of capturing, like, this, this, this you know, a, a kid wandering through this old haunted mansion in the dark kind of feel to it. I was actually pretty impressed with what they were able to do with this once I, again, once you know what you're supposed to do. It's sad that I'm more impressed by the 2600 the older I get than I ever was as yeah. a kid. 
Oh, I, I think we, you know, as a kid, it's it's just a bunch of, you know, fucking stick men that, <laughs> that you just move around the screen. But I, I think when you get older, this is another instance where you kind of look back and and you, know, you understand the limits of the hardware at the time and what they were able to pull off. And like Jeremy P was saying, this game does a great job of uh, presenting that 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 atmosphere, that kind of horror uh, atmosphere to it. And yeah, as, as a kid, you, you always cut the lights out for this. You play this one at night. Um, you uh, maybe you had a friend over. You would cut the lights out on this. Um, you would you would be totally immersed in it. And and mainly the way we played it, we just saw who could who could really last the longest in that house. We we never played this game as kids um, with the thought that there was going to be an ending to it. Um, it was just kind of let's see who can wander around um, the longest. And you know, you a lot of those games where you had to really use your imagination, you kind of made your own, you kind of made your own fun with it, in a way. If you didn't understand the way the game was meant to be played, this was a great one for that. But um, so I appreciated it on that level. But like Jeremy's saying, even more now, kind of looking back and playing through and and getting the, you know, the full the full measure of what they were presenting to you and what you could really do on there. Um, it's it's super impressive my cousin uh i think that's kind of what he did he was a little bit older than me he was a giant piece of shit but like when i (laughs) no this dude was just a straight this kid he's he's always been a piece of shit he's still a piece of shit uh but he was especially a big piece of shit when i was a kid because you know he was definitely that kind of bully type of kid but uh, he would I, i remember he had this thing where it was like you know if you if you do this and you're playing this game and and this happens and this happens and he's like, then you got to run, you got to run to the bathroom and you got to turn the bathroom light off and you got to look in the mirror and then Freddie will come. <laughs> and I fucking believed him. I did that probably like two or three times to try and get Freddie to come because I wanted to fucking see Freddie. Uh, it was just, you know, it's little things like that where you have to eat so many of these games for the Atari 2600 for how basic they were. So much was just imagination and, and making your own things out of it. Uh, you know, he's a piece of shit. But that's one of the things I remember most about that game was running to the fucking bathroom, turning the lights out and, and looking in the mirror and hoping Freddy's behind me. So, yeah, Haunted House is pretty great. Well, it, and I mean, it came out in 1982 and there were sequels put out. Now, again, Atari at this point is kind of just a name, a, an entity that somebody owns and puts games out on or makes whatever this new Atari box thing out know, that might actually exist at this point. But in 2010, uh, Atari put out Haunted House just called Haunted House, on the Wii, Xbox, and PC. And it is basically the same kind of game as this, but it looks more like, almost like a Luigi's Mansion-style layout, where you're actually like you're actually searching shelves, and you're, you're walking through rooms that actually have things in them while that, that look like they're old and dusty, and you're, you're kind of doing the exact same thing you'd be doing in this game, but, uh, but it looks a lot nicer. And then there was another sequel in 2014 called Haunted House Cryptic Graves, I guess a reference to Zachary Graves of, of this game, that looks a lot more like if they tried to make a like a scary mist. I don't know. It doesn't look very good. Oh, <laughs> I didn't play horrible. either of those. <laughs> oh, my God. It is absolutely horrible. I can't believe that actually got made. Well, again, at this point, Atari is just a, a name that people have, have. Whoever currently owns it just puts out things in the hope that people buy it because it's Atari. Uh, it is what it is. But I was surprised to find out that Haunted House had any sequels. But I am not, I would be even more surprised 
to find out that this next game had any sequels whatsoever, because we're going to talk about the most notorious Atari 2600 game, whether or not it's deserving of that title. E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which came out in 1982 oh, as boy. well. From Atari, made especially for systems from Atari, the video game that lets you help E.T. get home, just in time for Christmas. Happy Holidays from Atari. This um this might you might know this as the game um that everybody shits on even though the majority of them have not played it because Correct. it's fashionable to do it. Yeah, this game actually has a really good documentary. Microsoft produced it. I've watched it before, and and you know it sheds a lot of light on the the, the one guy that made this game and the incredible amount of pressure that he was under to get this thing done in the very short time that he had to do it. And I, I kind of feel bad for him because, yeah. yes, this game yeah. is not as bad as people have always led it to. I think it was just one of those early internet games that everyone just kind of dogpiled on was like, this is the worst game of all time. And mm -hmm. it's and really not. No, it's actually, there's more going on in this um, than the majority of Atari games you play. I can, I just thinking, uh, this was one of the, I, it wasn't the best Atari game I owned, but this was far from the worst. I, like, I would have chose this over a handful of the other carts, you know, I, I had in, in the library at home. Um, I, it's, you know, there's a lot going on with it. Uh, it's kind of another one of those where there's several kind of, you know, steps you need to, you need to fulfill. Um, there's several different stages of sorts in this. You know, you have your your pits that you can fall into, which maybe um, is, is my major complaint. But even it is not um, what it's over exaggerated to be, because that's the only way you can really call this game the worst ever. Um, is if you just really want to be extraordinarily dramatic and over exaggerate every little shortcoming of it. <laughs> even though, to be honest, it's a perfectly competent atari game for that time um and i really enjoyed it um this was one of those where i had a cousin that could finish it they they could whip through this thing really quick and it, it, up to that point in time was the most impress, impressive video game feat i had ever seen accomplished um and of course i would try it at home and i would you know i would progress a little further and a little further as we went along um but but definitely i didn't see the struggles in it that, that a lot of people do. Well, it's another one without the manual. It really is cryptic on what exactly you're yeah, supposed to do, yeah, especially because yeah. it's it's based on a kid's movie that was a huge hit in, in 1982, E.T. And the reason that, um, that there wasn't a lot of development time is they basically got the approval to go ahead and make a game, and they had a, a month and a half to make their deadline to get it out before that Christmas. So either you know miss your biggest game of the year, a window to, for sales, or you know try to get it out as fast as you can. So once they had gotten the rights to make the game, 
they had to find somebody to make the game. So they asked Howard Scott Warshaw, who's in that that documentary that Jeremy mentioned, uh, who had made previously Yar's Revenge, which was you know a, a big success for Atari, and he also I didn't realize was the the main programmer for the Raiders of the Lost Ark game, which is another one that it it has a lot going on. There's there's a bunch of things to do in it. You have to drop and pick up items in certain rooms, and there's like it. There's a lot to it, but it was one that I had friends that knew how to beat it, so we we beat that. So that's another game that, you know, based on a big movie franchise, that actually did really well for Atari. So I can see why they, they asked this guy, like, look, this is a game we're going to try to target to kids. We're going to have to put it out, but you only have five weeks to do it. And he was like, you know what? I can make that happen. Let me see what I can do. And so he he made a game that, if you were going to make a game on E.T., on the on paper, what he, what he created makes a lot of sense. So you play as E.T., and your job is to find the three pieces of your communicator that you uh, you know have been broken apart get them together get to the right spot to call for a a spaceship to come pick you up and then get to the right landing zone to catch that spaceship once it comes so again if you've seen et that makes a lot of sense he's stranded on earth yes he, he, he does make a phone in the movie and and then and, and calls home right so so that's the idea of the game the the problem is without a manual it's really, really confusing on what you're supposed to do. So Billy mentioned that there's several different screens and several different areas. There are. There's six different layouts of the screen. There is the forest you start out in, which I didn't even realize was a forest as a kid. Uh, that's also the forest where you're going to have to go at some point for your pickup is, is back in the forest that you start in. There are several rooms mm-hmm. that are just light green fields with these dark green different shaped holes. And they're pits, and you can fall into them. And this is what everyone remembers of the game, is if you fell down to a pit and you try to get out, you hold down your button on your joystick, E.T.'s head pops up, he slowly goes to the top of the screen, then he's back on the main screen, and if you let go of the button, or don't move quickly, he just falls back in the same hole. And in some places, it's very hard to get out of that hole without falling in the hole over and over and over again. And because it's a video game, in order to to kind of give you a, a motivation to keep moving faster, is E.T. has an amount of energy at the bottom of the screen, and as he uses his powers of things like to float uh, to get out of these pits, it drains his energy. So if you fall in this pit and you can't ever get out, you'll just watch your energy drain to zero, and then technically you don't die because you get you get several chances before you actually are totally dead. Uh, but still, it, it's like you would just get trapped in this loop and not know exactly what to do. Now, I found it wasn't that difficult to actually get out of the pit and, and then move off from where it's clearly the pit still, and then you're good to go. But as a kid, I, I was not able to do that very consistently. Um, and, and the other part is to figure out where these pieces are of your uh, of your your communicator. They're all in these pits as well. So if you're not going to just fall into every single pit, which you could do to try to find them, uh, you'd never know how you're supposed to find the locator. Like there's a a way you can determine if any of these pits near you have a piece of this communicator. So on the top middle of the screen, there's a little blue icon that constantly changes as you're walking around the room. I didn't understand as a kid what that icon meant. I also didn't understand why it was changing. I thought it was just changing at like with time or just randomly, but it's based on where you are on the screen. If you walk over a spot and the icon changes to what looks like a circle with a dot in it, every time you walk over that same spot of the screen, that same icon comes up at the top. When you push your button, whatever that icon is at the top of the screen is E.T.'s, you know, space alien power he will do. Uh, In order to find the parts of your phone quickly, if you can find a blue question mark that pops up, 
and then use your magic power where E.T. raises his head up. If there is a piece of the communicator in the pits in the room you're in, the, the physical area you can see, it'll flash. There'll be a little pit, like a little flashing dot in the pit, and you know, okay, that's where I need to go and get my communicator. If that was defined in a, in a, in a better way without the manual, then I, you know, maybe I wouldn't have hated this game as a kid because I didn't understand what you're supposed to do. But once you have the manual there, and you're like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, it, it makes a lot more sense. Now... Again, with the game select, there's a change in how you play. This works backwards, where one, which is the default, is the hardest mode, and as it gets down to two and three, three is the easiest mode. If you play this game on mode three, the only other person in the game you ever deal with is Elliot, the little boy from the movie. He doesn't hurt E.T., he doesn't do anything bad, he comes around and helps you. And in fact, if you have, uh, you'll find little Reese's pieces all over the ground in, in different areas. It's just another <laughs> black dot or whatever. But if you have nine Reese's pieces and you find the spot that has, it looks like you're a little boy yelling, you can yell for Elliot. And with nine Reese's Pieces in your inventory, he will come to you, take your Reese's Pieces, uh, and, and then run off the screen, and then run back with a piece of the communicator for you. So you could actually not ever bother looking for your communicator piece. You could just collect Reese's Pieces on all these screens and just walk around endlessly and eventually call him, and he'll give you all three pieces of your translator, of your, I'm sorry, of your communicator, and then you can try to find... The place you need to go to call, which is, it looks like a little picture of a spaceship uh, and that little blue icon. Yeah. And there's only one of those on the whole map. And then you have to get back to that forest area and find the landing zone square, which looks like a, like a target almost. The fact that there's all these little icons that do different things, and there's arrows that teleport you. There's that little circle with a dot that lets you eat a piece of candy to get back some energy. There are, uh, it looks like a... Roman numeral three, and that actually is it relates to the FBI headquarters in the game that they show in the mm -hmm. same t screen as, as Elliot's house. Where if you get that, it'll warp the bad guys, which show up in games one and two. There are FBI agents and scientists. If you have that space that looks like a Roman numeral three and you use your magic power, it sends them back off the screen and takes them back to their their headquarters to, to come out and find you again. I mean, I mean, there's just a lot going on that I had no idea, didn't understand any of it. All I knew is I kept falling in pits and couldn't get out well. I, I couldn't figure out how to escape. Uh, the FBI agents and scientists follow you outside of going into pits. They follow you very carefully. So the only way to get rid of them is to either use that power to send them home. Sometimes you can outrun them and kind of confuse them. You can fall into pits and they won't follow you in and they might wander off. Or if you get the pieces of candy and call Elliot, he will run and scare them off when he runs into the room. So there, there's just a lot in the game that when you actually have the instructions in front of you and you're actually like, okay, I see what these icons do. I see what I'm supposed to do. It's actually a fun game, but it is it is a very frustrating game. And especially like as a kid, even at the time with a manual, I wouldn't have understood how to play this. There's a lot going on. You know, in 1982, I would have been five years old. I would have had no idea at all what any of this game means. And I, I think that's why it it sold a bunch of copies, but it also had a whole bunch of copies come back to Atari that they had to basically pay retailers for. Uh, and that was kind of at the start of, of people realizing, oh, wow, a lot of these 2600 games are not great. Uh, they're, they're, they're just pushing them out real quick. And it wasn't just Atari. It's because they didn't have any quality control on third parties making games. So there was a bunch of just, you know, there was a Kool-Aid Man game. There was a, a I mean, games just based on whatever, just put out and people were buying them. And, and a lot of them, eventually people were like, wait a minute, this is, this isn't worth the money. This is, this is awful. And that's what would have caused the crash. So a lot of people see E.T. being the game that caused it, but really it's not a terrible game. Was it a game that was probably made for people that were over the audience that would care about E.T.? Yeah, probably. And uh, 
you know, they probably should have just made something that was a lot simpler, like like a Pac-Man clone where you're E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, I agree with all that, all of that. Um, this was a very complex game for a you know for a kids movie, um, but honestly, there's worse. There's a lot worse. Oh, on tons the worse. Uh, tons worse. That there's a there's tons, and I, I I just I hate that this game is kind of the uh, you know the de facto game to get shit on when when the the. You know, the, when the worst ever lists come out, you can stop at number two, because you know. Um, and then, you know, and, well, and then you realize the person that wrote it um, should probably play more fucking video games. Um, and then they'll, they'll really find some fucking bad shit. Try Mercenaries 2 on 360. You might have worse experience than E.T. Um, no, I, it's just, I hate this game. Never, um, never really got redeemed or anything like that. I think it's destined to just be that game. Um, uh, that, that that carries the full weight of the video game crash firmly on its shoulders when there was a lot more um, kind of going on at play there. But this is a perfectly, uh, if you, once again, I mean, that's a prevailing theme here. If you have the manual, which I mean, you know, how many people picked up their copy of E.T. from the yard sale, you know, and, and it didn't have manual with it. Um, and then they tried to play through it. And I mean, we're three out of three so far with games that are a lot more enjoyable um, and, and actually a lot more impressive once you, you get the manual and you kind of see the full scope um, of what they're going for and kind of the finer points of how to play. And in some cases, you know, what, what the hell you're supposed to do. And this game benefits from that um, a lot. And, and I will I will say that it's it's never been fair, uh, you know, kind of the way this game is is, is treated and, and whatnot. And, you know, it, it probably never will be. I, this was the one that I actually understood most as a kid, not because of anything I did, <clears throat> because I was just a dumb six year old kid. The, the most I actually remember doing with this game was trying to role play my actual physical Transformers toys with this game to do mm, like a Transformers oh uh, cross ET, you know, kind of Holy Marvel shit. Adventures thing, but mm-hmm. that you know, I didn't know what the hell was even going. I was a huge ET fan as a kid, but I didn't know what I was doing. It was just cool to make a little ET run around the, the fucking screen. My aunt though was like an ET expert, and she was the one that showed me how to actually play the game and beat it. She didn't do the whole thing with the locator uh, device, as you mentioned, the the blue dot. None of us knew what the hell that was, and I didn't for the longest time. She was doing the M&M's thing of just going mm-hmm. around, collecting M&M's, going back, giving it to Elliot. And so I knew how to play that game. So it blew my mind, like, years later, like, when everyone's like, this is the most unintelligible game I've ever played. It's the worst thing that's ever been created. It was the single game that was responsible for the downfall of video games as we know it. And it's just like, I I don't know, man. I played a lot of other video games on the Atari 2600 that were way more confusing than this game ever was. <laughs> At least there was some things that I could understand what was happening on the screen, even if I didn't have instructions from someone. So it was just, I, I think it was just one of those early memes that just kind of caught on and ran with it. History has run with it as being that thing that caused the, the video game crash. It was a part of it, definitely, but it's, I, the game itself... I don't think deserves that moniker just because of 
what it is. It's not that bad of a game. There's far, far worse on the Atari 2600. You mentioned Kool-Aid Man. Now there's something that should have caused the fall of video <laughs> games. Uh, the, but yeah, E.T. as it is, it's not bad. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not going to say it's good, but yeah, it's for an Atari 2600 game. It's it's better than what you would probably think it is, I suppose. Well, and I think again, this was a game they really pushed. I mean, this was Atari put a lot of money into this. They ordered a lot of game of copies. They thought it would sell systems well into the system, not selling a lot of systems on its own. And it just didn't pay off. I think that's also kind of why it gets a lot of blame because I think it lost Atari a ton of money. Uh, now that's not the game's fault necessarily. That's uh, that's a bad business decision. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a terrible game. It's also not not an incredibly fun game. Like once I figured out what to do, I was like, okay. I I mean, I liked figuring it out. But after that, I was like, do I ever want to play this again? I don't know. Probably not. But it was kind of a neat game to to figure out exactly what was going on after all these years. And and I can you know. We mentioned we've, we've all bought all most of these games in yard sales. E.T. sold so many copies that there's almost no chance you didn't have a copy of E.T. in any bin you found games in in a mm-hmm. yard sale. So mm-hmm. I think another problem is that everyone that would have played E.T. that would have been writing about it on the Internet essentially, you know, got the same way we did with it, without an instruction manual. And they fell into a pit and they got frustrated. And they're like, yeah, this game's not very good. And all it took is one person saying that in an extremely interesting fashion for it to catch on. So, you know, it, it does not deserve the the... The, the reputation it has, uh, it actually is a, a, a competent game. It's just maybe maybe it should have just been a little simpler. Uh, a game that I had as a kid, though, that I remember being super fun, and it's by far the best-looking game of the four we're talking about, is Smurf Rescue in Gargamel's Castle in 1982 oh boy, by not... Coleco, the only one so far that was not published by Atari. Are you watching Smurf? No, playing Smurf. Oh, now it's a video game. Gargamel captured the Smurfette. And that's a Smurf! He's got a rescuer! Smurf under him! Smurf under him? That's Smurf talk, Dad! Oh. Smurf the oh, bat! Oh, come on! Oh, spider! Smurf the spider! The Smurf Smurf skull! Smurf over him! Smurf them all! Maybe Smurf is too exciting for you. You know, we had talked about um, there being worse games than E.T. That's a perfect segue. Um, to this Coleco, uh, well, no, to this Atari version of Smurfs. I had this on the Coleco. Um, you know, I, I was a little fancy. I was a little too fancy for this version of it. Um, I did not play this Atari version of it until it came time to review it now. I, I had always had this on Coleco as a kid. I played this game constantly. This and Lupin. Uh, the, the the airplane game on Coleco or the were two games and well and Mr. Do um, that I just I played near constantly and Smurfs I would just run through it um, loved playing it we'll talk about how I tried to uh, try to spice up my adventure here and there um, but getting on this Atari version I mean the same basic principles are here they are just much uglier. Um, and much more difficult to pull off. Um, uh, this is one of those games where uh, don't be surprised if you die uh, one or two screens in. Probably won't shock anyone on this podcast, but Smurfs is actually my favorite game of all of these. Um, this is the one really? that, as a kid, I was blown away by... I, I, is it just called Smurf? Yep, Smurf. Oh, yeah. Rescue in Gargoyle's Castle. <laughs> Well, I smurfed my way through this game several times, and mm. I was fascinated by it as a kid. 
and it probably explains a lot about me and other things, but I think it explains that at least as somebody that plays games, as I grew up, that platformers became my favorite thing in the world to play. And back when I played this, which was much later after it came out, I had not played a platform game. <clears throat> you know, Mario Brothers, had I had not yet played that. It may have been out, but I hadn't mm-hmm. played it. The NES obviously wasn't here in America yet, and the only way you could play something like Mario was, uh, you know, the, the arcade. But Smurfs was, Smurf was my first platform game that I played to where it wasn't just a a singular screen of something that you had to do. Now, adventure, of course, was a thing that you were going through, but this was a game that was, you you could tell what was happening. The Smurf looked like a Smurf. Uh, the, the things that you were, the scenes that you were on looked like places. It was not just blocks. I mean, for the Atari 2600, this looked pretty decent. Things had frames of animation. It wasn't just a pixel moving across the screen. And that that blew my mind back then. So when I first played this, I was like, oh, my God, I can I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm moving mm-hmm. to the right. There is a fence in my way. I have a button. When I press it, the Smurf jumps. So I inst- it just connected with me. I was like, OK, I know how to play this game. And I know that sounds crazy now, but for everything we've just mentioned on this game on this podcast, that was something that was genuinely refreshing back then. So, yeah, I played the hell out of this game. So, yeah, I I recognize that Smurf is not a very good platforming game, but it definitely made a huge impact with me as a child. Yeah, no, same. It, it looks like you'd expect it to look. If you wanted a game based on Smurfs, it looked like the Smurfs. I mean, the, the character looked like a Smurf. You're supposed to rec- rescue Smurfette. It looks like Smurfette. Which is mind blowing that that Smurf doesn't look just like your other Smurf. There are there are animals and such that look like those animals, and and the backgrounds look really good. Also, there's music the whole time. Now, is that music absolutely irritating in 2021? Certainly. <laughs> but I was blown away that there was constant music like that in a game as well. Yeah. And you're right, yeah. there weren't a lot of platformers. Um, now, jumping in this game is not a button, but you push up to jump, which is fine. Yes. Oh, um, but it it's what what the game. And I, so I, I loaded this up and I was playing, I, was, I could not get past the first screen. Yeah, I just kept jumping over the fence, but I wasn't jumping over the fence. I just kept jumping into the fence and I could not get past it. And I was getting more and more mad. And then I realized you jump up first. And then when you hit up to jump again, your Smurf will do this giant, like horizontal jump that also goes high enough to clear everything. So the game you smurfed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you smurfed it. But you have to jump up first and then jump to the side. Like I, I kept trying to jump diagonal and I just kept not making that jump and not figuring it out. So once you figured out, okay, double jump is how you're supposed to do everything. Uh, that that's it. The button actually doesn't do anything. It resets the game, so you don't want to touch the button. Uh, it, the rest of the time, you're going through uh, essentially a, a series of five screens. There's a forest screen. There's a stream, there are caves, there are mountains, there's Gargamel's castle that's the last level, uh, last scene of every level, and they look like all those things. They actually look like a forest and a stream and a mountain. Like, these things look really good for Atari. And, uh, like you mentioned, things have frames of animation. There's a bird that comes in that flies on the screen and actually kind of you have to dodge a little bit. It actually moves its wings and stuff. Like, it is an impressive-looking game. Uh, That said, after getting by, like, man, this is pretty impressive-looking, this is one of the dumbest games, though, that we <laughs> that we played of, of the four we turned to talk about. Because it's literally like, all you do is, ju- like the first level, the first time through, there's no monsters. So you just walk to the side, jump over a fence, 
and then you walk to the stream and you jump over that stream. And then you walk to the mountain or, or a cave and you actually have to dodge a spider that slowly moves up and down. And then you go, you know, up up a hill and you get to Gargamel's castle where you just jump from a chair to a table to Smurfette and then it ends. And you're like, huh, I got an ending, which is cool. And then level two starts. You're like, well, here's it's going to get harder. It gets harder by doing two things. It adds monsters in, uh, like a bat and a snake that, that kind of come across the screen. It's one enemy to dodge on each screen. But then instead of changing up the map or adding anything to it, uh, if last time there was one screen of forest, now there's two screens of forest that have the exact same fence mm-hmm. and the exact same monster. And then after beat that time, you get to the third run through, and it's the same screen, but the monster's a little bit faster. And there's three forest screens and three river screens and three like so. It's it just makes the game longer in the dumbest way. But but the first level, the first time you play through it, even the second time where you actually get to go to some monsters, I, I admit it still was fun. But after that second run, I was like, okay, I, I have no interest in playing any more of this game. If you could make a game in Mario Paint. This would probably be the platformer that would <laughs> yes. come out of it. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's nothing and, to it. Mm-mm. And now, and as a kid, um, like I said, I played this on the Coleco. It's the same basic principle. Um, I will say though, on the Coleco version, it uh, we talked about haunted house being a little spooky. Uh, mind you, I was very small. I always found once you got inside Gargamel's castle, um, that, that that was a little creepy. A little, little bit of a creepy environment, especially on the Coleco, which uh, it, it's looking a little better. And I'll say control is a little bit better, too. Um, but I, um, I I just I was let down by one thing. Uh, there's no Gargamel. No. In this game. There's no Gargamel. Um, yeah, you get like a, a bat a, and a snake, I think. And the owl. And I, the and, owl in yeah. Gargamel's yeah. castle. And I went to some great lengths. I uh, Somewhere there's a little notebook where I've jotted down... A paragraph, uh, and it says, you know, and it's basically it adds Gargamelian. It's like a little script <laughs> that adds Gargamelian, and you have to you you know you have to jump on Gargamel's head and and knock him down, and and then you rescue the Smurf Smurf, and you take off. I went one step further though. Um, <laughs> I um, recalled my cousin had. Um, those games that had the the overlays for the screen, you know, you, you put the you put your overlay on like the Vectrex. And it had a, a, yeah, and it had a scene on it, and you know that's how you you played the game. Um, and I am I in a little notebook. Uh, it, it's not an overlay. It wasn't even see through. I drew a a what I'll, I can only describe as the best possible picture a four to five year old can draw of Gargamel. <laughs> Um, and I would tape it. I would tape it onto the screen when I got to that that last uh, that last screen of Gargamel's castle when it comes time for the rescue. Um, and I would tape it. <laughs> it sat by the TV. Um, you know, it, it had. I used the same piece of tape. Eventually, eventually, I knew I had to hurry because it was going to fall off. <laughs> and I, I just continued taping that little Gargamel up on the screen. Um, this is so this is the was, madness that video games drove <laughs> us to back in the day. This is what you this is what you had to do to get a little extra length out of your games back then. Yeah. Um, like I said, there are, I only had three three Coleco games. You had to stretch those out. Um, but yeah, I, I have my little my little description of, of bursting in there and Gargamel being there and and I'm sure he has a very generic Gargamel dialogue and you know you had to jump on his head. Um, 
and then I have my little my little paper Gargamel taped up there for for the last screen because I thought that was an omission. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't let that slide. You know, even then. Um, and playing it now, man, I I was missing it when I got to that part of the castle. I you know I almost I was very tempted uh, just to you know sketch out a little Gargamel. It'd probably be about the same quality drawing it was back then. You know, it, it, it taping it up there, just to spice it up a little bit. Well, I, I think this one actually plays like a game that's made for kids that that kids will pick up on. Yeah. Unlike ET, oh, yeah. which was you know clearly a, a game that was designed for kids. But then when you really like dug into it, like no no five year old is going to figure out ET uh, without you know somebody telling him exactly what to do. Where this this from the get go, it's like yep, it's bright, it's colorful. You're a Smurf. You're running to the right. And and again, it 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 has a soundtrack which was mind blowing at the time. But but yeah, it, it's it's definitely still a kids game. A lot of those. Uh, a lot of the Coleco games uh, on the Atari had had music in them actually the whole way through. But this this was one that I I was so excited to get because I had a friend that had it on the Coleco Vision. Now he didn't tape up Gargamel to the screen, but I was very excited when this and Ladybug came out on the uh, on the on the twenty six hundred <laughs> so that I could play both games I had played on his Coleco Vision. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, I mean, if you guys ever go back, um, you know, uh, take uh, take a minute in your notebook real quick, get a get a little sheet of paper. Try it out. Tape your little Gargamel up there, and uh, I, I think you'll you'll get a much better experience out of it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't. I, I hadn't played any. Like I said, I hadn't played any of the platformers. I, I hadn't played Pitfall on the twenty six hundred. They did somehow. My aunt didn't have that one in the pile of games. Apparently, that one was too good to have. It might have been a whole dollar at the, yeah. at the yard sale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but where you know, Smurfs people was there. people weren't selling. People weren't selling Pitfall. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a keeper, uh, but yeah, there was just so many in that pile of games where I, as a kid, I didn't understand the concept of a bad game. It was just something that I could have fun with at the time, whether it was uh, that horrible version of Pac Man for the twenty six hundred or or Donkey Kong, you know, it was it was a rough facsimile of something that I was super excited to play in a home environment, and that yeah, playing Smurf. And playing something that I had never played before like that for the first time on the Atari, that was, it stuck with me. Again, it ain't a good game now. It's nothing you should ever go out and play. But that was, that was one of the few Atari 2600 games that I have genuine nostalgia for, though. Thanks for humoring us as we tried some 2600 games. I don't know how often we're going to do this. Probably not too, too often. But I did enjoy it. I like going back to, to games like that and kind of really digging into the now to figure out, like, why was this a game? And in this case, you know, for, for three out of four of these games, there's a lot more to them than I thought. And, uh, and the one that I thought from going in, you know, would be the most exciting because it is bright and colorful and has music was actually just exactly what it looks like. So... If you started playing games during the 2600, or if you're just starting playing games even on the 8-bit Nintendo, you might still want to go back and check these out. But I would have to say, if, if you started playing games in the PlayStation era or later, you, you might not have the patience to uh, to go back far enough to try some of these 2600 games to see if they're they're your thing. But if you do, well, there, there's at least four 
that uh, we can recommend you you give a shot. And if you do, you could always tell us about it or give us recommendations of 2600 games you like by sending us a question and or statement. You can do that by going to retrovania.net. You scroll down past all the links to all our social medias, and at the very bottom is a form that you can put anything you want in there. You can put 2600 recommendations. You can put your favorite Coleco game, ColecoVision games, or you could start write us a question, and we'll answer it on the show like we're going to do right now. And uh, the first question is going to come in from Kay, a.k.a. Mason, and he's wanting to, well, he's wanting to get turnt. Let's get turnt is what's <laughs> on his mind right now. <laughs> a lot of the other podcasts I listen to, which are all inferior to yours, of course. Oh, thank you, Kay. Host Zoom parties with the paid listeners where everyone drinks and converses. Have you ever considered doing anything like that? You guys are famous now, after all. So come on now, Mr. Twitch Superstar, Legendary OMG Jeremy, and Diggle Slick. Let's get turnt. Man, I you know it's not a it's not an awful idea. I um I mean that's something that I usually do on my own. I I, I don't you know I, I don't know what the difference would be. Maybe you know, put a camera on myself. Um, might be nice, you know, have somebody to uh, to to shout out here at home when it's time for somebody to come, uh, you know, roll me off my back onto my side. Uh, it, it might be helpful. Well, we have we have a Discord. We could easily set up a, a video chat via Discord for whoever wanted to come and, and sit and drink. I, I I mean I'm I'm fine with that on a, on, a, on an occasion, but I couldn't do that constantly. I would, I think I would annoy everybody in my house. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a problem at some point, you know, when, when, if one of us is ever setting up the, uh, you know, seven, <laughs> the seventh, uh, hangout and drink of the week. <laughs> no, that would totally be us. God damn it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, it's a dangerous road. We might have to limit it. It might have to be, you know, once a month, maybe <laughs> something yeah, that, like that. Maybe once, once every, every couple of weeks. I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, just look out for that. Be a good friend. If uh, if one of us is posting, hey, let's do it again. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and it's like you know, 9 a.m. Um, you know, maybe send us a little message. Make sure make sure we're doing all right. Come get shitty with Jeremy P. at 9.30 on Twitch. He's <laughs> <laughs> got okay, the 12 we got pack today. There. Today I'm Jerry. Yeah, we got fucking mimosas and and Castlevania too. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean yes, we probably shouldn't be doing that often. Uh, we yes, as much as we drink, it, it's probably a bad idea for it is for us to get on there every night or every morning and just uh, uh, you know have have a good old time with everyone. As much as that would, yeah, it could be fun. I, I am not the kind of person to get on and do like face to face stuff. It's one reason I don't do Twitch streaming. Uh, but yeah, these two, they, they love to get face-to-face with everyone. And I know they both love to drink. So that, that could be a thing. Um, I, you know, I don't even think you'd have to be a paid sus- subscriber to, to deal with that. <laughs> because we, we will do that for free and not even think anything of it. So uh, we, will, we will maybe do that. Okay, so we'll, we'll see in the future. Anyway, our next question comes from somebody not named Mark. And he's wanting to know about the Vita Digital Store. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> gentlemen and Billy, I, recent pur- I recently oh. purchased a- <laughs> oh. Oh. I, re- I recently purchased he's a not, Vita. He's, he's, he's not invited uh, to the drinking. When the well, he did just he, he's, recently. He's barred. 
he did just recently purchase a Vita, so that does, you know, get him out of certain social circles. Well, he's, got, he's got enough problems. Yeah. Uh, oh, we love the Vita here. God damn it. Anyway, I recently purchased a Vita and haven't downloaded any games from the digital store yet. There are rumors oh, that Sony might take down the digital store for the Vita, PSP, and PS3 in just a few months. If this is true, what game should I download before they take it down? Based on a review from the past, I'm thinking I should start with both Mega Man Legends and The Misadventures of Tron Bon. A lot of PS1 physical games are crazy expensive these days and way out of my budget, so I might want to jump on this before missing my chance. Not Mark. So I, I would say if you're looking for the PS Classics, if you like RPGs, there's plenty. Suicoden 1 and 2. Um, I, I would highly recommend getting Vagrant Story. It's a lot to learn, but once you get into it, one of my favorite games I played on my Vita uh, on, uh, from those classics. Mm. But as far as like Vita-specific games, I, I would say uh, almost all the early Ease games have come out again for it, including uh, the Memories of Celsetta. That's a great, great game. Uh, Persona 4 Golden, I know now it's on PC, but you know what? I played it first on Vita, and I prefer it there. Uh, and they also, that's the, where you can get the PSP version of uh, Persona 3 Portable that, that's only available uh, basically on that. So the, if you like RPGs, there's plenty of great ones. Uh, and, and also, I mean, I, all I really have on is RPGs, so I'm probably not the right person to ask. But I, I got a few good, like, just just fun little shooters for a couple bucks each that I, I really enjoy, just shmup kind of game. So those were good too. But but the ones I'd say I, I'm going to miss the most if my Vita dies and it's on the way out is going to be all those PS1 Classic RPG games. Thankfully, I have backed those up on, on my PS3 as well. But uh, but that's also probably going to die at some point, and, and it's also going to close the store. So disappointing. Yeah, I guess we should mention since this, was, this letter was written, they have confirmed that they're shutting down the PS3, PSP, and Vita stores completely. And if you've if you've already got something purchased, you can re-download it. It's just that after they shut them down here in the next few months, then you will not be able to purchase any further games. It will just be gone. And the thing that sucks the most is, you know, the PSP and the PS3, I think, have a good majority of physical games out there that you can buy for them. I know there's going to be people like me that are going to mourn the loss of Calling All Cars and The Last Guy. Uh, for the ps3 is like digital only games but like there's so many games for those systems that you can just go out and buy physically still for a decent price but the vita sucks like i mean there, it just really sucks for it because the amount of games that got released for it physically was so little mm. there were just so and they're very hard to find even now so if you're looking on getting on the collector train if you see any vita games out there grab those because they will definitely be worth collecting as uh, but yeah, like there's so many games for the Vita. It was mostly a digital platform. That's how I bought most of my games. So it, it really sucks to see those go away. It's like that platform just kind of stops existing for the most part. Like 90% of it just stops existing as soon as they close that store down here in a couple of months. Do you have any recommendations, Billy, or no Vita experience? I have zero Vita experience. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything to chip in on this one. I would say if you're going to look, uh, you know, to, to get some of those PS classics, I would, if you're only wanting to play them on Vita, I don't, I haven't looked at the, the, uh, the original PSX classics in a while on those stores. So I'm not entirely sure what's, what might be worth grabbing for what the price is going on the, you know, the, the physical market that you could just go and buy a PlayStation and play those games or a PS3. I. Uh, it's it's really hard to say, but as far as like the Vita games that I know I loved, 
like the Vita version of Katamari was genuinely really great. Uh, that was just an awesome game. You know, Marvel versus Capcom. Like there were so many great Vita games that I just don't think a lot of people even know. The Uncharted game was really good. So if you're wanting to just, you know, play some actual Vita games that were like legit good for the console and still hold up pretty damn well today, uh, go through there, see what the best Vita games were, download them because yeah, you're not you're not going to get a get a chance to play them anymore. I know Jeremy was a he's played a lot of Vita games and he was a, he's a pretty big Vita fan. I, I think he's still held on to his for for quite a while, even even just like a few months ago. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it just sucks that the Vita is going away because I absolutely love that system. Yeah, it's, it's it's easily the best handheld I owned, and and it's a shame that it's it just never picked up like it needed to. Anyway, thank you, Mark. I hope that helped a little bit. Again, just do some research and see what's actually on that store still, and and what might be worth downloading. Um, especially if they got like Silent Hill on there, like that's going for like a hundred dollars these days on on like physical release. So. That might be worth checking out if you get it for a, a price that's far cheaper than that. Anyway, our next question, our next uh, statement actually comes in from Lee Sparks, and this is from our Patreon. And he sent this in over uh, about the Klonoa episode that we did. He's just wanting to, to let us know a little about his experience as Klonoa when he was growing up. When I saw this episode go up, I got super excited. Klonoa is one of my favorite games from my childhood, and I still have my original copy today. It's also the game I have the biggest emotional attachment to. I hope you guys don't mind me sharing a quick story about it. I believe Klonoa was the first piece of media I consumed as a child that didn't necessarily have a happy ending. Although the game feels easy now, I worked hard as an eight-year-old to reach the end, and I was distraught when I did. I couldn't stop thinking about the ending and the idea of things not always ending happily said it's cool constantly fixated on that final cinematic feeling so bad for the characters to add to this one of my strongest memories of my late grandma is also associated with this game she would always watch me play games as a kid but didn't think too much of them everything was too violent or crass i remember her really kicking up a stink after hearing abe fart in the original odd world she did seem quite fond of two games though a light gun game named rescue shot and klonoa I remember reaching the final Joker fight as a kid while she was while she was sitting watching. She didn't comment on it much at the time, but that evening after returning home, she called my house. My mom handed me the phone, which never happened, and it was my Nana on the line asking, well, did you finish it? Did you get the Joker? For the next I couldn't believe she had an interest in the game, or any game to be honest. It stuck with me my whole life. She was 80-ish at the time, and unfortunately passed away just a couple of years later. I've never not cried at the ending of Klonoa. It's one of my favorite platformers, but the ending and the memories I have attached to it are overwhelming. Whenever that book appears at the end and the pages flip backwards, I think of her. I'm happy that's the case, though. For me, it'll always remind me of that moment with my nan. Sorry for the lengthy comment. Much love to you all. Well, that's that's it's wonderful. That, that's a wonderful, um, you know, thing to share. Um, oh, and something about grandparent memories. <laughs> There's something um, exceptional about those. Almost unfair with grandparents. You know, you feel like you don't really get enough um, time with them. So, I, and I know, um, I kind of to an extent. Um, I, I was actually telling my girlfriend recently. My my grandmother um, never took a real interest. In video games, except for um, Mario, 
who was who was not known as Mario. He was that jumping man. Um, and, and you know, if she came in, I was playing. It was usually, oh, are you uh, yeah, you playing that jumping man again? And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, playing that. And he just became known as, as that jumping man. <laughs> and uh, it, it it was it was the typical stereotypical old person thing where every game I played, she was looking for that jumping man in it. Um, so that became a, a very fond memory. Like anytime I boot up a new Mario game, that, that kind of takes me back. I think about my grandmother and her her questioning me on the adventures of that jumping man. So definitely, um, definitely really do appreciate uh, sharing that that story with us. Yeah, I don't have any good good grandmother stories about games, but but as far as games that like, you get to the end and you kind of feel somber. And you're like, wow, there aren't too many that the hitch are the right way. But for me, the most recent one was uh, when I finished The Last Guardian. Uh, it's you know, it, it, it's a game where you're basically kind of teaching this dog thing to do things for you. And of course, at the end of the game, you know, something happens, and, and now this dog thing that's been your partner this whole time is not anymore. It's always you know, it's kind of kind of sad. And <laughs> and uh, and also their their previous game they did was uh, Shadow of the Colossus, which was another one that like you hit the end and it's kind of like oh. Okay. All right. Like, it's definitely like, it's not a bad ending, but it's just a, you know, like, like Dark Souls has a bad ending, but that's not a sad ending. It's just supposed to be like this dark, bleak world. Okay. Like, there, there's only a couple of games that really hit you where you're like, oh, I actually have emotions now. What do I do with these? <laughs> I know I'll drink on, on Twitch with people. That's what I'll do. <laughs> that's what we'll need to do. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, for even for Klonoa, it, it was one of the first games that I played on that really had that kind of dark ending, especially for a game that whenever you did play, it did not seem like that was going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. the the majority, like 95% of Klonoa is this super happy, colorful, bouncy platformer with these nice little animal characters. And mm-hmm. it's genuinely kind of a Nintendo thing where it's just nothing bad could ever happen in this world. And then to suddenly have that very somber ending uh, was something else. And it, it can carried through to the the PlayStation 2 game which had an even more depressing ending to it. So yes, it it's I, I was always kind of fascinated by by those kind of games that you know, you, you, when you play a game you want to have a good time. And it's always been kind of neat for me to like for them to have a bad ending but still be in a way that made you feel like it was a complete story, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just giving you a shitty ending or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always been a fan of movies that have sad endings. So uh anything on the video game side that can do that as well as is, is has always been fun to me. So but yes, thank you for sharing that. Uh the Clano is is just a a perfect game for that kind of thing to sit and play with your family or uh especially back then. So uh what was his name? What was Lee his name? Sparks. Lee's? Lee Sparks, I thought. Oh, so thank you, Lee, again, for writing in. Now, you guys uh, noticed there that I read a really good question or just a really good email to us. Yeah, it was nice and touching. It was poignant. I, I, was, I was a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, this next uh, email comes in from Jilly Zilliday. Uh, <laughs> we're not, this is, a, it, this is not a good email or question to, to be sent to us. Um, but uh, Jilly's wanting to know uh, about Rob Zombie. Uh, what is your favorite song about fucking in the back of the Munsters car? Mine is Dragula. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is um, this, this is amazing. You know, every now and then a listener sends us something, <laughs> and I think to myself, "Wow, I can really relate and agree." 
Um, <laughs> this might be a shock. And by the way, uh, awesome name. Um, mine is 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 Dragula also. Uh, I'm gonna have to end the podcast for Jeremy. I, 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 have, I, I think I'm. I think I will. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't often do this. I'll play it safe and I'll speak for the group. <laughs> when I say it, it, it's Dragula. <laughs> Jeremy, do you like Dragula? I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I, <you know. laughs> that is a, that. Why would you think of that question and send it to us? That's <laughs> but the way it's worded. <laughs> Uh, just hit me in the right spot. I'm not even drinking on Twitch right now. I'm just totally, totally sober, laughing, I mean, nothing in my basement. We may have to now. This is the the, the fucking question that that has driven me to, to drink on Twitch. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm we, gonna say Dragula oh, we, too. We've had, we've had worse questions. I yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, thanks, Jilly. Uh, we're gonna all say Dragula. That's a good, a good song. It's a good choice. Um, it's a good song. Uh, anyway, our next uh, <coughs> break after that one. <coughs> anyway, our next question comes in from, oh, God, he's our favorite. Your uncle that works at Nintendo. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what's on his mind? Thanks for the new fetish. Now let's race some carts. Dearest nephews, it's me, your uncle, who works at Nintendo. After reading mm -hmm. the transcripts of your last episode on rock and roll racing, I was left with two things. One, a newfound fetish for human conception of video games. And two, less erotic, what franchises do you wish jumped on the kart racing genre bandwagon of the late 90s and early aughts? We got WWE Crush Hour, Star Wars, yeah. Super Bomb Bad Racing, <laughs> Konami Crazy Racers. I totally forgot that one existed and Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. But why not McDonald's Cart Mania or Boogerman Grand Prix? Why, goddammit. I anxiously await to read your picks in the next mail transcript. Stay out of trouble, especially you, Jeremy. You know which one. From your favorite uncle, me, your uncle that works at Nintendo. P.S. Uh, I hope you're getting the bit o' honey candies I've been attaching to these electronic mail messages because I can't fit any more into my floppy drive. P.S.S. Did you know there was a woman online who licked a PlayStation Portable? I just found a picture of it on Yahoo. It's very sexy. Wow, oh boy. Well, well, he's going to be occupied a while, but I want to let him know I still haven't got that birthday card in the mail from him. It's March the first, and I, I'm, I'm starting to get a little, uh, I'm starting to get a little antsy. Uh, so if you can get that to me, uh, maybe with an extra helping a bit of honey, that would be nice. Um, I, you know, I. Am a, a strict Mario Kart man. Uh, always have been, always will be. And the, you know, other kart racers have come around, and I always saw no point in them. You know, it's like why you could go to the nicest steakhouse in town and get a nice juicy steak with Mario Kart, or you could play Sonic Racing or Diddy Kong Racing and have a steak them at home. Um, you know, why would you? Why would you? Oh, don't speak that ill of Diddy Kong. Diddy Kong was a fine kart racer. It's a steak him. And <laughs> I'm going to eat my nice steak. Um, but, no, I don't know. Uh, but it was a fad. And folks did jump on. I I, I haven't really thought about it. But um, I, it would be something that I definitely am, am kind of surprised that Capcom didn't do. 
um, you know, throwing all of their, you know, th that's a lot of properties to cover there. Um, you know, throwing them out there, all the, you know, characters from the biggest Capcom franchises. I get fucking get some Street Fighter guys out there. You can see a damn car throwing a fireball just fine. See things like that. Um, either that or like a PlayStation. You know how they had the All Stars, the, the blatant Smash Brothers ripoff, except it wasn't a functional game, um, fighting game that came out. Uh, you know, I, I could have saw them taking a foray into it um, with some of their some of their bigger names at that time. Which I mean, if we're talking the early two thousands, you know, it was kind of still shaping up. Uh, but those those are a couple of them. Uh, but but all together, uh, you know, it's it's been done and it's it's been done perfectly. There's really no need in trying. I was trying to think of a gaming answer. Uh, the only one I think of is like a Squaresoft one, right? With all the Final Fantasy guys racing around. I, I don't know if I'd want that, but that's something that I don't think exists. Unless, uh, what was it? Uh, Chocobo Racing counts. I don't think it does. Yeah, you got you got your Chocobo Racing. Um, but, but as far as non-gaming ones, like I would have loved to have a kart racer that was like Transformers. That would have been fun. Like all Transformers where they actually transform into things as well. Or... Uh, or like like even like Marvel characters, classic Marvel characters with their separate cars and stuff. That would have been fun. Mm -hmm. um, but but as far as as gaming ones, no, I think everyone that could have made a kart racer and shouldn't have did, except for Capcom. I mean, that's a good point. I am I am surprised there's not like a Mega Man racing uh, that I'm aware of at least, <clears throat> unless it didn't come out in the U.S. I, you know, I I was actually originally gonna say Garfield because I hate Mondays. But then hey, I just I've got good, out, I've like, got good news for you. Yeah, I <laughs> just found out that there's a Garfield Kart racer that's fairly new. Yeah, like yeah. not like just a few years ago, they're still making them like a sequel of it, and that's uh, just turned my world upside down. So I know what game I'm gonna play on Twitch. But I, you know, I, I guess if I went back and I could think, you know, just whatever I can think of now, like where's my NBA Jam Kart racer? Whereas, you know, where you're just like throwing basketballs at each other and mm -hmm. you hit somebody mm -hmm. three times and you're on fire and got to dunk your cart to win the race. I don't know. Like there was just so many ridiculous cart racers back then. Uh, I, th I was trying to remember one and I swear to God it was Con or Capcom that made it. Um, but it was like an actual like decent cart racer. But it was so generic that that I can't even remember it now. So, yeah, I... <sighs> I, you know, Konami kart racers. I was going to say like a Castlevania kart racer where you're like throwing all of the weapons from Castlevania at each other or something like that. But, you know, there was Konami kart racers, a game that I literally forgot existed. So, yeah, I kart racers were a thing. And I, I swear to my I think my favorite all time bad one was that Star Wars super bomb bad racing, which Ooh. was just like. Like you mentioned, it was—it's just terrible. It's an absolutely awful game, but that, that was the time, man. It was uh, kart racers and uh, combat—you know, twisted metal games, basically every every other fucking game. Well, thankfully, that's the end of the emails for this question. We do have another thankfully. one. Thankfully, thankfully, <laughs> we do have some other ones. We're going to save those, I think, for the next episode. We've ran kind of long on on this one, so. Uh, for everyone that, that wrote in in the last few weeks, uh, check out the next episode, and, and we will get those read, uh, unless your name is Jilly Ballad. Well, mm. I mean, 
uh, that was a pretty solid question this week, uh, as long as you're a fan of Dragula. <laughs> uh, our next show will not be about the 2600 or about Dragula. It will be a patron request, though. Uh, I don't want to say what it is just in case I can't get the schedules together to get the, uh, the the interview piece done. But it will be a more traditional episode of Retrovaniacs. And again, if you want more Retrovaniacs, we do two bonus episodes a month you can find by joining our Patreon, which is always mentioned in the notes for this episode. And we will see you next time. The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. It's the video system with classics galore. From space invaders to cars that roar. A real hip joystick controls the screen. Solaris is hot and midnight magic's mean. And one more thing, it's got a special low price. Under 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Now, isn't that nice? The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari.